Hey guys, you're listening to She's Obsessed, the podcast, episode number two. So on the 5th of March, 2019, we held the very first She's Obsessed, the panel to celebrate the launch of She's Obsessed, the podcast. My special guests included Benicia Boteng, Charlotte Williams, Zalika Jones, and Adelaide Lamar. We spoke about all things cash flow, invoices, securing your first client, building your first campaign, pitching for new business, you name it, we spoke about it. I think this episode is going to be extremely helpful for anyone who is a budding entrepreneur, an entrepreneur that just needs a bit of validation, and also for intrapreneurs who are constantly pitching their ideas to those within their organization. I hope you enjoy. Let's go. And now I'm going to invite on our panelists. Hey, Venetia, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Okay, so my name is Benicia Botang, and I'm a makeup artist in London. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You definitely undersold yourself there, but it's fine. We'll get into it. <laughs> um, Charlotte, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do. Hi guys, um, I'm Charlotte Williams and I'm a marketing consultant and I've just launched an agency called 76, which officially launches tomorrow. Um, so I work with a whole array of brands and my main focus is around diversity. So putting black and brown people, so as LGBTQ community, into the forefront of campaigns and just getting us out there. Not close enough. <laughs> I hope you all heard that because I don't want to say it again. But um, yeah, so diversity is my thing. Perfect. And next up, I'm going to invite Zalika Jones. I feel really nervous all of a sudden. I don't know why. You're you're never nervous. (laughs) Hi, so I'm Zalika Jones and I um, run a company called VAS. So we provide all the back office um, services for small businesses. So we can be your virtual PA, we can be your accounts department, your HR department, your design, marketing, PR. Um, I focus on... financial side so I've been a bookkeeper for the last 20 years um which kind of exposes my age but (laughs) but yeah that's me oh and last but by no means least can we introduce and give a round of applause for Adelaide hi I'm Adelaide I think most of you saw me walking around in my blue coat but um I'm the events manager here and I'm like the cultural curator as well but I'm also co-founder of Born and Bread um yeah, Creative Collective. Cool. Thanks so much, guys. And you guys can give Adelaide another round of applause. <laughs> All right. So um, we're going to get started, and whoever's holding the mic first is going to answer. Um, but one of the first questions that I received, so on my Instagram stories, I put up some questions. I put up each of your pictures, and I said, do you have any questions for these women? And one of the most frequent questions which came through was, where did you get the money to start your business from? And I think it's really it's really important to start on money. And I try to start panels talking about money as frequently as possible, because I feel like as black women, we're not transparent enough. We don't have conversations about money enough. So therefore, how can we help each other? So who wants to get started? Everyone looked at me. <laughs> um, I guess, um, let me start with just born and bred side of things. We started with no money. 
zero pounds in our bank accounts. We put about 20 pounds in each month for each other, just for like, if we wanted to go out for a meal, it's more, it was more of a sisterhood kind of thing. But um, we started making a fanzine. So a fanzine is just a kind of DIY, put it to do it yourself kind of vibe of a magazine. And then um, it was mostly us interviewing friends we knew, um, finding people who were new in the music industry and we were just um, interviewing them, saying we have no money, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, yeah, that's how we started. And it was all free, all literally scan. I used to be a teacher, I used to scan it at work and rinse the toner like crazy. And then people would be asking me, how did the toner run out? I was like, oh my goodness, I do not know. <laughs> kind of uh, mad. And then I, like, then um, it got picked up by loads of other like larger platforms like Dazed, ID Magazine. And then simply from there, we just started to get lots of attention on terms of five black women putting together a publication, but also the relationship we all had. From there, we started a radio station on NTS. From NTS, like it just went through the roof. We started DJing and then that's how we started to roll bank. Um, we just invested that money within ourselves through all our DJ gigs. We didn't pay ourselves for about a year and a half. We didn't know what to price ourselves. We didn't, we were just saying yes to every gig, like, yeah, that's sick. <laughs> like we were just doing it for the culture. Like, oh, this is great. We'll get our names out there. Not knowing there's a price to every job. Like there is a price, trust me. And the price you have in your head is never too high. So we just started to ask for higher amounts and then our bank account started growing, but we're still doing the fanzine simply because that's what we loved. From there, we got our first commercial job was with Gap UK and we were asked to put on a campaign for them on their Instagram. So that's when we started to roll into like social media coverage and we made a fanzine for them over the Christmas period. And it was just basically that introduction of social media influencers, but we just used ourselves, we styled ourselves, everything came back to us. And that's literally how we got our money. That first job was actually 10,000 pounds. So working with like big brands, that's how we've been able to kind of keep money in the bank for ourselves. And then since then, we've just been working with loads of different brands and that's how we've started to roll the money in and the DJing as well. So, yeah. I love your answer because you made it clear that you guys just started and you didn't really know what to do, but you just got started with it and you figured it out and you put in work. Yeah. And then the payment came later because Literally. I see a lot of memes on Instagram, like charge with your chest, like things just enticing people to charge money for services that they're just getting started at. And while I understand the logic, I think it does a disservice to you because if you haven't actually got experience, then what value are you actually providing in exchange for this money? So I love that you guys went out there, you grinded, and then you got your first gig, which is 10K, which is massive. Yeah, it's a lot. Of and then 
it's interesting because people don't usually talk about how much you get paid for campaigns, but campaigns, you get a lot of money, especially if your content, like even people like what they make amazing content. And if people see that you are putting in the work, they'll pay you more money that they will go out to an agency for. So as long as you're actually doing things that has purpose, people will pay you for what you're worth. So that is a hands down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also the fine balance between having faith that people will pay you what you're worth, but then also having the confidence to charge some more in case they don't come back with a figure that you like. Yeah. Higher. (laughs) Always higher. (laughs) Um, Venetia, how about you? Where did you um, get the startup capital to start your business? Did you invest your own money? Did you seek investment? How did you get started? Okay, so a little bit like Adelaide, I started with basically nothing. I had like the smallest kit ever and I was always insecure, like going on set or going to any type of job. I just always feel like, well, I don't have enough. And I'd look around and see other girls' kits and I'm like, I can't do this. Like I'm I'm not there yet. But I feel like the main point is start with what you have and grow that slowly and never feel ashamed of how small or how much you have because I feel like in my first three jobs, kind of like you, I didn't get paid for it. Probably like for the first six to seven months and imagine being like a struggling makeup artist like you've got this kit that you can just about afford you're dragging that everywhere and you know you're not really getting paid for it but I feel like the better my work got the more I got confident to say, you know, actually this does kind of deserve a price tag um, and this is what I'm worth. And kind of like you, I didn't start with the biggest, you know, oh, I'm gonna charge you a million pounds to do your makeup. It was just small, small. But the more I would like go out on jobs, I'd get more jobs and I keep investing back in my business. At the time I had a part-time job. And so, oh, sorry guys. At the time I had a part-time job, which was amazing because it meant that I could still like afford to do as many jobs as I was doing, but at the same time be getting paid. So um, I would say maybe a year into doing makeup, I kind of like, maybe two years actually, I decided that I wasn't gonna work anymore because I actually built enough contacts to actually afford to like run my business properly. Um, In terms of how I got my shop, I never spent money. Like, I'm so frugal with myself. I'm so like, as people would say, Ghanaians, we're like the tightest people in the world. And I was so tight on myself. And I remember saving up a lot of money, maybe three years in. And my dad said to me, why don't you buy a house? And I was like, yeah, like I'm 26, 27. Like, maybe I should get a house. And I said, I can either use this money to invest back in my business or I can buy a house. And I'm like, there's always going to be a house to buy. Do you know what I mean? So it's so important to be able to look at the money you've got or whatever and try and invest in yourself. And I feel like that's something that in our community we don't do enough. Like we kind of see it as this is the goal, but there's so much more out there. So I remember like I got to that point and I said, daddy, I'm not going to do it. All of this money is going to go back into my business. And yeah, that's basically what I did. I got my space. And I remember like by the time I was done with like doing up my shop and actually opening it, I remember at the end of my launch, I quickly went on my HSBC app and I looked at my money and I was like, (laughs) I've got 750 pounds left. That's less than my rent. (laughs) Like this has to work. And I feel like it's when you invest in yourself to that level, you you have to go all out. 
and you have to kind of like challenge yourself. You have to make yourself uncomfortable in order to reach your goals. So I feel like the more uncomfortable I made myself, the more determined I was to prove that I have to get myself out of this situation. A month later, I looked at my account and I was like, wow, is this what happens when you invest in yourself? And now months down the line, I'm like, I'm ready to start you know, products now. I'm ready to invest in myself properly. So yeah, I would say that's kind of, that's it. That was a great answer. <laughs> Um, and I think investing in yourself doesn't always have to be money spent. A lot of the time it can be time spent. So it can be time spent reading, time spent listening to podcasts, time spent attending events like this where you get to meet like-minded people and find out about the experiences of others as well. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, Zalika and Charlotte, my question for you both is going to be how you secured your first client. So I'll share a bit of my story. So I initially thought of Treasure Trust while I was working full-time at an asset management firm. And I started it as an Instagram page, literally on the side of my desk. And I was literally like just posting pictures of women with natural hair every day and getting a tiny bit of traction. And I mean like less, like 20 likes or something. And I had like 300 followers or something like that. But I was dedicated to it, doing it every single day. And then one day I got an email from Palmers who had seen what I was doing on Instagram, understood the concept. And thanks to the fact that it was a black woman in the product management team, she understood the need for Treasure Trust. So it was almost luck that we got our first client. I didn't act. I didn't actively go out and get Palmers. They approached us. And then that was a signal for me that it was all right. It was now time to launch the subscription box. So I knew I was going to launch the subscription box. I set up the Instagram page as a platform. And then once I got contacted from Palmers, I was like, okay, we're good to go. And then I started cold calling other brands, literally searching on Google, scrolling to the bottom, finding a number, calling that number and just doing it time and time again until I got in touch with the right person. So Charlotte, how did you get your first client? So I, it's actually quite interesting. So I, um, I've always worked in kind of corporate marketing. So I started off in e-learning. Sorry, I'll put it really close. I started off in e-learning and it was quite boring, but I, that's the job I had. It gave me lots of training, but enabled me to travel. Then I moved over to Hello Kitty and I was there for a couple of years and, you know, had the best time, my favorite character brand ever, and learned loads. And then on the side of that, I was also doing my blog and I was working with hair care brands um, to like review products and stuff. And then I went to work at WA for a bit, which is where I met Zalika. And then for, after a few months, I decided I wanted to go freelance. But I didn't really know what that meant. And I was like, I'm just going to go freelance. Cool. I'm just going to find some clients. But I had no idea how I was going to do it. And then <laughs> I just happened to go to an event um, that my old boss was running. And I met just an old contact. Um, from blogging and I said oh I'm going freelance on Monday and it was Thursday and she was like oh my god I need someone immediately to start um I need some marketing help and I was like okay I can do that and then I put my out of office on at wah and then like the week after I started with that client who was a hair care brand and then the same week I got an email from another hair care brand who I've worked with for many years on the blog side um, and she said I've just seen your out of office at wah um, I need you to come in for a couple of months to help me to do <laughs> to do some projects. And I was like, freelance life's actually really good. <laughs> um, doesn't always work like that, I found out now. But um, yeah, so that's how I got my first client because it was just, I've worked 
forever in corporate life, but I always had the blog on the side. And I was, I always knew I wanted to work as a marketer, but I really loved the blogging side. So I, I always wanted to keep it up. And I always had really great relationships with the brands that I worked with. Um, and that obviously paid off because I now work, still work with them. And it's been coming up almost a year um, and we've got great relationships and I'm still being paid. So it's really great. <laughs> so yeah, best client. Um, I think that's a great answer. And you mentioned relationships, which are really, really key. And I think a lot of the time, if you're already working and you decide to leave, there is temptation to be extremely bossy when you're leaving and just cut ties with everyone and forget everyone when in actual, yeah, literally, in actual fact, you should maintain those relationships because you never know who's going to move where or who's going to become who. Um, so Zalika, how about you? So I was made um, redundant and I basically stayed in bed for about three weeks and then um, my best friend is a lady an amazing marketing consultant called V Roberts and she had started her business the year before and so she was like so so when are you starting your business and I was like I can't do it I can't do it and then she literally phones me every single day I was like so what's your name you know, what are you going to do? And I literally started my business because I just wanted to shut her up. I just couldn't have her phoning me again to ask me. So um, another friend of mine had started up a virtual assistant business and I thought, well, I could do that because it means I could work from home. And I hadn't been working in my job for very long. So I probably got a month's salary plus a bit of holiday pay. So I, I really didn't have any, any money. And... Um, what I decided to do is there was a big agency that um, was like a virtual assistant business. And I just thought, well, I don't know how this whole industry works and how it works, you know, how, how you kind of get started. So I thought I would just work for them as a freelance virtual assistant. And I mean, the pay was rubbish, but for me, it was about the long journey. It was what I was going to get out of it, the systems and the, the ways of working that I could, I could learn. So I got a, a client through them quite quickly. And then that kind of built up my confidence. Um, so the first client I actually got like on my own, um, ended <laughs> I was doing this marketing course and, um, I'm just really bad at marketing and putting myself out there. And it was a three month course. And um, after about four weeks, like everyone was doing really well and they were talking about all the clients they were getting. And I literally broke down crying. I was like, I can't make my phone bill. And the bailiffs have been knocking on the door. And, and um, one of the people on the call was like, you could be my virtual assistant. So that was, so that was like my first pity client. <laughs> uh, yeah, client's a client. A client is a client. <laughs> but then two weeks after that, um, the woman who was running the course was saying, you need to, who's your client? Who are you trying, are you a niche? Are you going to just be a virtual assistant for um, sports people or coaches or whatever? You, you know, you've got to kind of niche down. I was like, I don't know. I kind of, when you're broke, it's like, I'll, I'll work for anyone. One. Yes, I didn't really want to niche, but she was like, okay, but then you have to understand who's your idle client. You know, someone who's got enough money that they're building their business and they need someone um, to help them on the side, whether it be, you know, virtual PA or accounting. And so my friend's husband, um, I thought he would be my idle 
kind of my idol client. So I gave him this, this questionnaire. So I wanted to know where did he network and um, what newspapers he read. And then he was like, well, what, what is this for? Like, you know, what do you do? So I explained to him what I did. Um, and he was like, well, actually I need a virtual assistant. I need a bookkeeper. I, I got a pile of letters from HMRC that I haven't opened for 18 months and I haven't done my accounts. And, um, you know, I haven't done my VAT return and I really, really need some help with that. So I be he became a client. And then that's literally how I started. I haven't had one client I've got through marketing. Everyone has been recommendations. So he then recommended me to somebody. And then I went to a maybe like a networking event and then they recommended me to somebody. And it's just been like that like I can't even like remember reputation yeah, and word I, of mouth yeah I think even Jamelia I think it was at a networking event and because of Maury maybe we started talking and so yeah so my network my friends have been my PR they've been my free PR because once I started to talk I, at first I was really embarrassed I just didn't think that anyone cared about what I was doing um, so, but once I started talking it up and saying, well, this is what I do and I, you know, I'm providing, um, admin services and bookkeeping, everyone was like, oh, okay, well, if I know anyone who needs that service, I'll, I'll tell them. So yeah, you know, definitely involve your network, tell everybody because, you know, they will be free PR for you. Yeah. I think, I think that's a very good tip. So tapping into the network that you already have yeah. and sharing with the people that you know what you're working on and what your intentions are. Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from that episode to give a massive shout out to our sponsors, Palmer's UK. This month, we are obsessed with the Palmer's Natural Fusions hair range containing 95% natural ingredients to help nourish and protect your hair. Just to let you know, this range and the products within this range are infused with sustainably sourced raw oils. They have no parabens, no sulfates, no silicones, no mineral oil, or any harsh chemicals. In between meetings and in between traveling this month, I will be deep conditioning with Palmer's new Natural Fusions Chia Seed and Argan Oil Hair Mask for Deep Conditioning. Give it a try and let me know what you think at Jamelia is Obsessed and give Palmer's a follow and an idea of what you think at Palmer's UK. Let's get back to the episode. I'm going to go back to you, Benicia, and ask who has been your most surprising client and what did you learn from them? Okay, so I'm going to answer that with two people. So <laughs> I think it's quite interesting. I've been very blessed to work with some really, really, really amazing women and men. Um, I think my, fav my two favorite clients have got to be Chimamanda, Adeshi Ngozi. She's an absolutely amazing woman who I just feel so blessed to have been able to work with and to be able to work with, you know, all the time. So I'm I'm her UK makeup artist now, which is great. Um, she's just an amazing woman. And it's just shocking to think that, yeah, I work with her. Makes me feel like, wow, okay. <laughs> how you did that? You did that, girl. <laughs> you really did that. How did that happen? So how did you get her as a client? I got her as a client because she followed me on Instagram. And then her team reached out to me and were like, she's going to be in London and she's going to be doing a lot of events in London. Do you think we can like get a trial done? And I just remember going to that trial and my head was spinning because <laughs> I was just like, I have to make this. This has to be it. Like I have to impress this woman. So I got there now and she was like really quiet. The first time I ever worked with her and I was like, that's it. 
It's the worst job of my life. <laughs> she even crack a smile. She hardly speak to me. And then I remember like the week later, they were like, yeah, you're booked like seven times, like next month and then a month after. And I'm, I was like, wow, okay, cool. This is something that's just amazing. And it gave me that confidence to say, you know what? I can actually approach people on this level and like, you know, just give it my best go and they'll like what I'm doing. My second favorite client has got to be Black China because she's absolutely jokes. But it just goes to show like women on complete ends of the spectrum in terms of the way they present themselves and what they stand for, whatever. But they're both so powerful and lovely women. So yeah, those are my two favorite and surprising clients. Cool. Thank you. Those are really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adelaide, going back to you, was consultancy always the intention? Because I know that you do a lot of brand consultancy for brands, especially around the area of culture. Was that your intention when you got, when you got together as a collective? Or was that literally just a byproduct of your hard work and the connections you had made? Um, just a disclaimer, with Born and Bred, we never knew what was going to happen. Like, let me just put it out there. But no, that was never, ever the intention that we were ever going to go into, like, brand consultancy or just talking about how to help people's businesses. I mean, like, we didn't even know how to help our own business. Like, are we going to be helping, like, multi-million pound companies? Um, that was just a blessing in disguise. I think it's because simply we've always just done things organically and so authentically that it's difficult to like look past the fact that we're not making any of it up. Um, when we're on radio, it's just, it is what it is. Um, whenever we do shoots or whether we're thinking about like our zines or creating content, everything comes from an authentic and lived experience. Therefore, nowadays, most brands want to work with people who are living their truth. You don't, you do have the odd brand who obviously want to work with you because you've got 100,000 followers or etc. But most of the time, people will want to reach out to people who authentically have that genuine followers or they genuinely have what they're looking for, not something... Because you'll sit in a meeting with someone and it always comes across that you are not being yourself. And they know that. I mean, how many of you have walked into a room and met someone and been like, mm, they're kind of fake. So... Brands know that too. People know that too because they are, brands are people. They're just people like you and me. Like at the end of the day, they want people to believe in their product. And if you believe in what you do, of course people are going to jump onto what whatever's going on. Just straight up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, you mentioned winging it which I think is a really important part because when you start a business, you honestly don't really know what you're doing. You're just like, all I know is that I'm going to get through tomorrow and I'm going to solve today's problems in order to get through to tomorrow. So do you guys have any really funny or entertaining um, examples where you've said yes to a project, a client or a task and you've had no idea what you were, what you were doing, but you managed to wing it and get through it? Yeah, the gap job. Like, <laughs> that was like the first job we had ever had with that much money. And we were just like making figures up. We were like, just add this up. No, it has to get to 10K. And we were like, and I was like, we're going to get caught. And then it was just literally a circle of stupidness. 
And it was just mad because deep inside you're thinking to yourself, with your parents coming to this country, they wanted you to go to university to do things that you've learned in a book. And then suddenly someone's giving you all this money to do something that they think you can do. Same with DJing. We were literally winging it on the jo- on rate on live radio. We were winging it like it was just technical difficulties. Like, how can you do that? But then after a while, you learn from your mistakes, and we are constantly learning from things that we're doing wrong. Like, just the other day, like we had to literally like stand up, hand on chest, and be like, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to reply to this email. <laughs> You have to be honest with yourself, but I think like one thing Chica says, she's part of Born and Bred as well. Fake it till you become it. It's not fake it till you make it. It's fake it till you actually become what you said that you needed to be. And that has been our tagline from the get-go. Like, I'm sorry, but sometimes you just need to believe in yourself. Same way you knew that you wanted to get clients. That is what you need to believe in yourself in order to know that you can make that journey happen. Because if you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to believe in you? Like, real talk. <laughs> Real talk. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, something that I notice as well is that when people start asking you for things, those are really good indications of ways that you can grow your business. So with Treasure Trust, we were just a subscription box, and then brands started asking us to do other stuff, and we were like, "Yeah, let's do that." So the team just kept growing as we were like, "We need to figure out a way to do this for this brand." So we're going to employ a new person, and she knows how to do this. So we're going to do it. So I think listening to your clients and listening to your customers is a really good way to understand how you can make more money for your business and also refine your brand to make you really, really unique and really, really valuable. Um, Charlotte and Zalika, we've not heard from you guys for a while. Have you guys got any experiences where you've said yes to something that you haven't been entirely sure of how to do just yet? the time <laughs> which I really shouldn't even be saying that as a bookkeeper right? <laughs> you know all the legalities and that um, but yeah I mean I'm it's it's say yes and work out how to do it later I'm the I never made I never did a business plan I didn't have a strategy I remember when I first started my accountant said you know where do you want to be in five years um, and then that means you know you could work out what you needed to do by year four three two one and six months and I kind of was trying to do that but I'm quite an impulsive person and a bit of a rebel you know like second born don't care we're gonna hey. do what we want to do <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, 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 I wing it all the time. So I'm not going to turn down a client. So if a client says to me, um, right, I need, I really need, like, IT support. And do you provide that? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. And Fancy I fi- you mentioning it. <laughs> <laughs> I will find someone. I will find someone to do it under the umbrella of my business. And that's literally, I've never been a PA, but, you know... I, that I was going to offer that service in my business. And um, that's how I grew because then I became a go-to person because someone would say, oh, do you know someone who does HR? Yes, I do. And I would find, I would go on LinkedIn, I'd go on Facebook, just kind of Google like someone and have a few conversations with people, see if we could kind of collaborate and do it under the umbrella of my of my business. So yeah, I wing it all the time. Like I'm not turning down a client. <laughs> 
I, the only way I would turn down a client if I just didn't feel like we could vibe, like I didn't think we could go get on or I believed in what they were doing. Like, I've got to love you. Like, I literally will stand for you. Like, I'm your cheerleader. I will tell everybody about you. So if I didn't feel we had that kind of connection, apart, yeah, apart from that, like, we can, we can roll. <laughs> Charlotte, I know that we've had conversations about bad clients because saying yes to everything works out really, really well until you get that one client who doesn't want to pay you a lot, but wants the world and more. Yeah. And those clients can exhaust you of not only your money, but also your energy. Yeah. Do you have any experience that you'd like to share as far as bad clients and knowing when to just cut the tie and yeah. maybe refer them to someone else? Yeah, I do. Um, so I won't tell you stories, I won't name names, but I have had, when I first uh, started uh, doing my consultancy, I kind of said yes to everyone. So um, I work, I've been working with hair care brands and mainly beauty brands and that was great. And then this one client came on board that was like completely, like completely different to everyone else. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Like, as you said, yes, if you if she wanted to know if I could do, have you ever worked in this industry? No, but I can do it. So I, I kind of had the first call and I didn't vibe with her. I just, I just knew there was something off. And then I took the job anyway, because I said yes. And it went a couple of months in and I was just like, no. It was, she was calling me on a Friday night at like 11 o'clock at night. Oh no. Sunday at nine o'clock, I'd be getting like WhatsApp messages. And I was like, babe, I'm not your friend. Like, why are you calling me? Like, why, I don't even answer the phone to my mum at this time. Like, why are you calling me? And it just got to a point where I was like, I'm really sorry. I can't do this role for you, but I have someone else that can do it. And you I tell that person that you were sending them your, yeah. their way. I was very, I was very open. And I said, I've got this client. I don't vibe with her, you might but she pays really well and she's quite specific, but you can do the job. You just have to be aware. And I think she's a little bit more resilient than me. I'm not, I kind of like, if I don't, if I don't want to do it, I don't, I just, I'm just not going to do it. It's just like, okay, we're, this is, but I will put someone in place that will. Um, so yeah, I just got someone else to do the job. And it's happened a couple of times where I've just haven't, I've looked into the role and I've just been like, mm, no, this isn't for me. And you just know. And I think when you first start doing your own thing, whether it's you start a business or you're consulting or whatever, you want to say yes to everything because you want to make money and you want to know at the end of the month that you're going to be able to pay your bills, you're going to be able to go out and have a good time. But sometimes it's really worth just saying no. And I learned that the hard way because last year was it was like up and down. It was like having an amazing year. There was one month and I was like, I am balling. Like who wants to go out guys? I've got so much money. And then the next month I was like, I'm so tired. I actually can't function. Um, and then I realized it's okay. It's great to have money, but if you're working like 18 hour days, it's actually not great. Cause what are you going to spend your money on? Like you buy a pair of shoes, but where are you going to wear them? Cause you're not going out. <laughs> so yeah, I just saying no, is like the most important thing for me. And I've actually had to say no to someone this week. That's why I was like, Oh yeah, I have a, have a story. But yeah, I think that's something I learned the hard way. And I think coming from a working class family as well, where my mum's always embedded in me, like you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be, but you know, you've got to do the work. You've got to get there. So it, for me, that was like, yeah, I have to get the work. I've got to make the money. I've got to do it. got to do it. But actually, no, just take a minute to think about what you're accepting because when you work for yourself, you work ridiculous hours. I think we all can, can um, say that, but sometimes it's to the point where you have to think, why am I doing this? What am I benefiting from? Is this gonna, it will make my career 
go, will it, will it make my career, you know, go a little bit further? Will it make me look better on social media? Will it make me want to stay in bed for a month? Like you have to just weigh it up. So yeah. Yeah. Say no. <laughs> <laughs> Saying no can be an act, a very a brave act of. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Just protecting your mental health. Yeah. Um, my next question for you all. So we've spoken about starting your business, how we got our first clients. My next question is going to be about how you grew your personal brands, your platforms and your businesses. Who wants to go first? Okay, so in terms of building my personal brand, it was about understanding what my audience want to see. So I feel like for me, what really pushed my brand was social media, Instagram specifically, because makeup is huge on Instagram. Um, but I remember trialing out all these different things because I'm like one of the makeup artists where I like everything. I like to do natural makeup, heavy makeup, scary, makeup, all of it. I love it. And then I started to realize that, like, okay, what is my actual brand? Like, what are people gonna look at and be able to attach me to? And I realized that how do I wear my makeup? What do I do that like when I go out, I get the most compliments on or people are attracted to me when I do that? And I think that's something that's really important. Sometimes a lot of people try and focus on just pleasing everyone, but you've got to be able to, you know, know who your audience is and what they like to see. So I realized that my thing was a natural look, like to, almost enhance people as opposed to completely change them. So as soon as I realized that this is my brand, this is what people are gonna know me by, I just decided that actually, I'm just gonna like kind of focus on that and I'll do it on all types of skin, specifically darker skin, just because I am a dark skin girl and you know, finding the right type of makeup to make us look flawless and natural has been hard like our whole lives. If you're dark skin, you know about it. So that was kind of like started out as my my niche and then as I grew I thought you know what everybody can get some of this glow honey. <laughs> everybody deserved that glow so like I would work on different skin types and it just worked out and I think um yeah just utilizing my social media understanding what my brand is and just literally just pushing on that so would you recommend for people who have businesses that are extremely visible that they Pay attention to Instagram, look at the insights, look at their peak times of posting, look at their most popular posts and use that to drive their inspiration for the content that they produce. 1000%. Just understand your audience because if your audience is 18, they're probably not going to be interested at 10 a.m. in the morning because... 18 year olds don't really care. Like they're going to be slightly later on during the day. My clientele, I would say, is anything between 21 and 40. Those are my clientele. They're normally in a job and all that type of thing. So literally everything I post, the way my models look, everything is around my target audience. What do these people, what are they interested in? Like, what are they going to be excited about? So for instance, in the store, we do something called Model Monday. Not so much anymore, but we'll be back. It's coming back. But yeah, we do something called Model Monday. And every time we do Model Monday, it's all about having models that people are going to connect with. So our models don't have to be runway models. They just got to be women that are women that follow us are going to relate to. Are they dark skin? What type of skin do they have? We specifically go after people who sometimes don't have the best skin because we want to show that we can take any woman, no matter what you look like, you're beautiful and we're gonna bring out that beauty in you. And I feel like the older you get, you stop trying to look so, how do I put it? A lot of my clients don't come to me and be like, oh, Benisha, I want the biggest beat with like the, like the deepest cut crease. They normally want the, the little things that just kind of, I don't know, 
boost their look, their natural beauty. And so that's kind of what we focus on, really. And I think it's really important to use your Instagram to do that. Look at your insights. We could post like the baddest bee, literally figure out all of it. No one's going to like it. And then you post like a normal woman with just clear skin, just a little bit of highlight. And everyone's like, oh my God, dying for it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like absolutely gagging for it. And it's like, okay, cool. This is what you like. I'm going to give you more of that. And then slowly you just start bringing it in, bringing it in. That's cool. it. That's excellent advice. Um, I know for me, I live and die by spreadsheets and everyone on the team will agree <laughs> with that. It. But an easy way to figure out um, what's working in your business is literally looking at your revenue streams and seeing which margin is the biggest and then just driving that even more. How do you ladies um, figure out where in your business you should be focusing in order to see the biggest and the fastest growth? No one wants to answer this. <laughs> They all looked at me again. Um, I think as DJs, um, that's our highest revenue income. Like for a long time, it was like our fanzine. Obviously, consulting is always going to be a steady income, but our consistent largest stream of income is DJing, simply because we get booked for um, international gigs, um, we get flued out, and. Um, yeah, that's the one people are more inspired by simply because I guess five years ago, seeing five black girls DJing and that having a good time was something that you only saw amongst yourselves in the club. But to see girls behind the booth actually playing your music to make you lot dance is something that slowly caught on. And um, there weren't a lot of DJs who were women as well. So we were a niche at the time. Now there's tons of women, which is amazing. And it's inspiring to see as well. Um, but also consulting is quite a big stream for us as well. Putting on activations um, within local areas for specific target audience is something that most people want from us simply because we have tapped into the margin of black women between the ages of you can go as low as 13 or black girls from 13 who are inspired by working within sisterhood groups to all the way up to 45 where we've done like zine workshops with older women who want to explore their creativity so our bracket is quite large but still we understand that the main focus is black women so yeah black women in america in the uk in italy which is really strange but um yeah we understand that we serve black women who want to be inspired by seeing more of like sisterhood and people together working together so yeah you've done an amazing job at our pop-up shop you definitely brought a vibe so thank you <laughs> you're welcome um Zalika, i've got a different question for you so you recently launched a podcast and you've launched your own app how important has um creating your own platforms creating your own personal brand been for your business well um I spent probably about four years of my business 
behind a laptop. And like I said, you know, all my clients come through recommendations, but I want it to be bigger than that. And people buy people, you know, I'm not, I'll never claim to be the best bookkeeper, the best at what I do, but the reason people come to me is because of me. So um, I need to show more of me. So um, I wanted to, I wanted an excuse to, to talk anyway, but um, I just felt as though I have some really great conversations with people that I meet when I go out and about to networking events or just family members or friends. And so that's when I decided to have my podcast, like Lunch with Zalika. I thought, you know, when you grab lunch with somebody, you just kind of, you don't have, you don't have long to talk, but you kind of, you might talk about partners or kids or business or just current affairs what's whatever's kind of going so it was just kind of a way for me to have lots of conversations with lots of different people um but yeah kind of people understand who I was who Zalika Jones is and that's what I'm I, that's what's going to set me apart from another bookkeeper you know like people aren't um going through yellow pages anymore just googling a bookkeeper someone that's gonna have you know your sensitive information it's like you don't lie to your to your accountant right your doctor um you know you've got to be really truthful so it's you know if they kind of come recommended by someone that you know or someone that um you know uh like a friend or family or they just kind of see me somewhere they're like I really like her you know um and they feel like I'm going to be a good fit in their business so yeah that's why it was really important for me to um get out there and that was the easiest way for me to do it and why I did my app was just I think that I forget that the knowledge that I've obtained over 20 years not everyone knows that not everyone knows why um what's the differences or what the benefits of being a sole trader as opposed to a limited company or what kind of um, expenses that you can claim back for you know um some people think uh <laughs> you know like oh can't i claim back for my clothes it's kind of she's like, talking about me by the way. <laughs> Well, I was talking to Jamelia. So we had this like big debate because she was like, well, I'm on these panels and, you know, I can't wear the same outfits all the time. And I was like, well, you could. <laughs> you choose not to. She's like, no, 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 I can't. It's on Instagram. It's like, but you could. So it's a luxury. Unless you are going to have this dress with treasure dress all over it, which then you couldn't then wear to a wedding or you wouldn't wear it to church or you might. <laughs> You know, but but it's basically it's that seen as a uniform. So if you've got your company name on the suit or the top, it's a uniform. Other than that, you can wear that leather jacket anywhere, right? You could wear it to the office. You could wear it out and about with your girlfriend. So you, it's not a, a business expense, but not everyone knows. And it depends on your industry, you know, what you can claim back. And I just... Can I claim back hair products? I've never asked this question. Yes, because that's part of your business. If you're a blogger and you... Um, if you're a blogger and you talk about clothes can you claim back your money for clothes I think that you could argue because as a blogger talking about clothes and you've got to be um, and then there'll be loads of brands that are like giving you I'm becoming a blogger (laughs) but yeah like if I regard I doesn't mean you could have bought hair products maybe for your niece. I, I see hair products. I'm still going to put it through. 
<laughs> but you know, it just depends on, um, yeah, it depends on industry. But yeah, it's, again, uh, it's, that was like the, the podcast was my personal branding, but the app is more about me as the expert, you know, me showing um, my knowledge. So, you know, the app, if even if you've got a new job and you want to, you've got a pay rise and you kind of want to work out whether, what does that mean? What I'm going to end up with, you know, how do you even work that out? So that's on the app. What's the app called? So if you Google, so it's on Google play or app, um, what's it called? The iTunes store. store. So if you, uh, if you put in my bookkeeper and then it will ask you to put in a code. So if you put in VAS, so that's V A S and it will get to my one. So it's like a standard app, but I've customized it for all the things that I, th- I feel like people really need. So if you're a business owner, there's a receipt um, capture on it. So you can take pictures of all your receipts and it means that you can download it as a CSV, like a spreadsheet. And so you can, it helps you to do your tax returns. You can capture all your sales invoices. It's amazing. You can do your, <laughs> I'm actually blown away. Yeah, I mean, your mom, tracker so if you're driving it will you don't even need to switch it on it will automatically calculate so it will if you've driven here today um when you got here it would say oh i've captured your information so it will tell you exactly how many miles and so up to yeah so up to ten thousand miles you can claim back um 45p a mile so just things like that as a business expense because it's you know we all have to pay tax but we don't want to have to pay more tax than we need to you know so it's all about trying claiming back for those tax deductible things so it's really important that you're keeping your receipts because you know that's chipping away at the income so you know if you're bringing in 20,000 and you kept no receipts well you're paying income on that 20,000 but if you can show actually I spent 15,000 on products or equipment or whatever it's only being calculated on five like I would rather pay you know tax on five thousand than than twenty thousand so you know it, the app it enables you to do that so you can you know receipts they fade and you get oil on them or you forget what it was for so it's on your phone as soon as you've bought something take a picture of it and it's and it's there you've got um important dates so to remember when to do your tax return or when to pay your payment on account um, gives you different financial news when the budget comes in it'll give you like a summary of what's going up what's going down what's changing Um, yeah so it's just kind of like having it literally is like having a bookkeeper in your pocket you can just you know you can if you should be on a salary or getting a dividend so yeah check it out please Yes. <laughs> and then it's called My Bookkeeper. My Bookkeeper, yeah. Just put in VAS and it will, it will take you to my one. Perfect. And are there any other, like, say, three tips you could share with the audience who may be getting started with a business or may have just got a new job of ways that they can better manage their personal finance? Okay, so again, I don't, I, I think from the very beginning, it's really important that you um, install these admin and finance systems. So it's, it's, you always want to make sure that you're profitable. I don't necessarily track um, how much money I'm making in different, um, well, yeah, I do, but that's not, how much money I'm making is not necessarily the, the most important thing. It's how profitable I am. You know, it's no, it's no point. I made a hundred grand, but I spent 99, you know, you know, so, um, from the very, very, very beginning. So even if you're using your own bank account, um, to, to pay for things for your travel or eating or your equipment, what I suggest is down each month, downloading, um, each month's, um, a statement as a CSV is a spreadsheet 
delete all your personal stuff. So it just leaves all the, all the stuff that you spent on your business. And then if you set up a spreadsheet, so each tab is a month, then you've got all your costs that you've spent on your business each month. And then you can put in your income and then you'll see how profitable you are. It's really simple. You don't have to have any fancy systems. A start of a spreadsheet because like I said, yes, it's important how much money you're making, but it, for me, it's more important that you're, you're profitable, that you're, you're making you're keeping that money, not just kind of spending it. So from the very, very beginning, keep track of everything, every receipt, um, keep a copy of it because you never know what you can claim back from what you don't. You know, if you've got someone that can help you do your tax return, which is always um, a good idea, you know, they'll tell you, no, you can't claim that back, but it's better you kept everything because there'll be things that you didn't even know you could claim back. Um, uh, another good thing. What's the most surprising thing you've been able to help someone claim back on their tax return? Like, people don't even know that they can claim back part of their rent and bills if they work from home, you know? So if you use your living room as your office, say you live in... Um, a two bedroom home. And so your front room is included as a room. So if you use the front room half the time um, on your business, you would take, so so if you've got two bedrooms in the front room, that's three, um, you would, so you can um, take into account your rent or the, the interest part of your mortgage. Um, and then your gas, electricity, um, internet, telephone. So if you used your front room half the time, you would take a third of the total cost and then half it. And that's what you can claim back each month as a home office. So you can kind of keep a spreadsheet of all the things that, you know, would you, you know, you kind of use as part of your business. Like you need the electricity, you need the gas, you need the telephone, you need um, the internet, um, you need space. So it's kind of like charging yourself rent, but then you can put that down. So that's all. So yeah, people don't, they're like, but I just work from home. I don't have an office. It's like, that is your office. You know, um, or, you know, taking um, track of their mileage. It's like if you are, you know, you can't, you're not supposed to um, claim back the, you know, if you fill up your car with petrol, you're not supposed to claim back that whole petrol seat unless it's a company car, but you can claim back the mileage. So every meeting that you're going to, if you're keeping track, and there's lots of things out there you can keep track on, but, you know, you could use your calendar to write down. So I went from SE1 to W1 and how many miles was that and work it out 45p per mile and then kind of keep a tracking of that. Um, yeah, anything that you had to to purchase as part of your your business so they think you know some people just don't realize the, th the sorts of things like you wouldn't have purchased that thing had it not been for you doing this so yeah keep track of it all but yeah I think it's those little things that people like really I can claim back for my travel but it's like but you're a freelancer yes you had to travel on the tube or the train or a bus to get to that place so you claim it back you have to eat so you can claim back up to five pounds a day for food you know as long as you're not going to your normal place of work so say my office is um, in Farringdon so I can't claim back for my um, my lunch around my office or around London because 
you would eat anyway, and that's your, your usual place of work. But if I have to go and visit a client in Crawley or I have to go to Manchester or whatever, I claim that back. That's a business expense. I, I wouldn't have to have spent it there if it wasn't for the business. So, yeah, it's all those, those sorts of things.